have served in Asia for about 14 years with IMB. And I just, in many ways, I feel like I'm coming home uh, being here with you this morning, even though this, this is the first time we have met. I have had the joy of working with you as a church for all 14 of those years. And you may be thinking, well, how? Because I only met Jason uh, and Dusty, I think, may be in here in October. Were we together in October? But because of the way you all generously support uh, the Cooperative Program and Lottie Moon, for every day that I have served in Asia, uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples, planting churches, uh, I've been doing that in partnership with you. Uh, you have helped make it possible for my family to do what we do. And so I feel like I'm at home with my family and I praise God for you. When I look over and see this board and consider that the number of people that have gathered in this service and the last service, that number of people are contributing together to give a gift like that. That tells me a whole lot about this church. I feel like I'm at home with you. So thank you so much for your generous support. Tried to give an illustration in the early service of how I would view a church like this. Uh, one of the things I love about South Asia is they still like to play games. At New Year's in, on the island nation that we used to live in, every New Year's, everybody gets together and does crazy things toss eggs at each other and try to pillow fight each other off this beam and knock you to the ground and break your collarbone. Fun stuff like that we do in South Asia. But one of the games that we always play is the game that I know you're familiar with, tug of war. Y'all ever play tug of war? But I bet it's been a long time since anybody in here's played tug of war. Well, just imagine tug of war. Everybody's important in tug of war, right? But we know we select somebody special for one place. What place? The anchor. We need somebody who's really committed to tying that rope around their waist and being drug across the line if that's what it takes. And when I think about uh, what I have seen just in my little bit of time fellowshipping with you through my relationship with Jason in particular, you guys are a church that's got the rope tied around your waist. Uh, you're an anchor uh, for our work. And I'm just so incredibly thankful to God for the burden that you have for the nations and for the way that I know you pray for us and I know you give very generously, very sacrificially for the work. God is using your investment. Lives are being changed. Um, Disciples are being made, churches are being planted, and you're a part of that. You're very much a part of that through your intercession, through your sacrificial giving, and through your going as you continue to send people to work with us. And so I praise God and thank God for you. A little bit more about me. I, I, don't, I can't remember what I've said in the early... This is new for me, so I feel like I'm saying the same thing again, but... I don't mind saying this twice. I believe everything I'm going to tell you. I'm married 28 years to a wonderful woman named Debbie. And the Lord has blessed us with 
five children. I have to do a count. Five children, now two in-laws, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and most recently a grandbaby. So I just graduated into grandfatherhood, and I'm thankful, <laughs> thankful for that opportunity. Two of my kids live in South Carolina, and they're married and settled down there. And uh, An 18-year-old son, 16-year-old daughter, and 13-year-old daughter live with my wife and I in South India. Uh, that's a little bit about me as a husband and a father, but Titus, this is not our text for the sermon, but just by way of introduction, Titus, the first few verses in Titus chapter 1, I feel like kind of gives what I hope my life is a reflection of. This is at least what I feel like the Lord has called me to, and the partnership that I feel like you and I have joined into together. And so I'm, let me look at that with you real quick. Just listen to these words. Titus 1, this is what we're laboring together for. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. I would hope I could stand here and say that by the grace of God and by His, His calling on my life that, that I'm a servant of God, a sent out one for the sake of the elect, the chosen ones that God has selected from the 280 million uh, that live in South India, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, and the other surrounding islands off the southern tip of India, that God has sent us there uh, for the sake of the elect. Uh, and for very specifically, he says here that their knowledge of the truth, the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And how do they come to a knowledge of the truth? Well, I'm glad you asked. They come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul would say the truth is manifest through the preaching of the word. And that's why Paul had been sent. And that's why Titus, the recipient of this letter, is being sent to the islands of Crete to finish work that had been started there with establishing the church. And that's why I have been sent. And church, that's why you have been sent. We have been sent for the sake of the faith of God's elect among the nations, particularly this morning as we give focus and pray for among the nations of India, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. And so thank you so much for partnering with us in that work. I look forward to this time to worship together with you as we reflect on God's Word. We're going to take the Word of God this morning and we're going to use it as an illustration we find in the book of James. James gives a picture of the Word of God being like a mirror. A mirror the thing you look at and see your reflection. Uh, and hopefully when you look in the mirror and you see a reflection 
and maybe things are out of place, what do we normally do? We fix it. That's why we look in the mirror. We don't look in the mirror to see how bad we look and say, looking rough and walk away. We look in the mirror and we do the best we can. And you're looking at the best I can do this morning with the help of a mirror and a little hair gel. The best I could do. In the book of James, the writer says that It'd be foolish if we looked in a mirror and turned and walked away from the mirror and forgot what we looked like. And he's using that to describe the importance of our looking into the mirror of God's Word and seeing a reflection of the truth. We see a true picture of who we are In the Word of God. And we see a true picture of who God is in the Word of God. And we see that reflection and we want to submit to the one who's revealing truth to us. Surrender to His plan. And so this morning after I pray, I want us to see ourselves in the mirror of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to learn something about our identity as people who've been born again. But first, I want to pray for us. Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we do ask you this morning to speak to our hearts. Reveal the truth to us. May we see ourselves the way you see us. And may we respond in surrender to your Spirit. You've saved us by grace. And you continue by that same grace to sanctify us. And you will present us blameless. We are already in Christ, seated even in heavenly places because of the work that you've done for us at Calvary. But Lord, may we yield this morning And every day going forward to the work of your Spirit as you continue to knock off the rough edges, as you continue to conform us to the image of Christ, may you be exalted. Lord, take this time and your word and accomplish your purpose for our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to look together, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 through 21. And I'm going to ask you three questions as we read these verses. And I'd really like for you to be thinking of how you would answer these questions yourself. Again, the mirror is before you. And God is reflecting in the pages of His Word a picture of who you are if you're in Christ. And so... I want you to reflect for a few moments on what God says about your identity. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Let's read this together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ 
reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is God's Word. The mirror is in front of us. And the reflection of God's Word to us is saying something about every one of us in this room who is in Christ. It says something very special has happened to every person in this room and every person in this world who is in Christ, it says something wonderful has happened. What is it that the mirror of God's Word says has happened to those who are in Christ? Yes, the winner of a million dollars. <laughs> a new creation. The mirror of God's Word is, portray, is portraying us as someone who's no longer the person that we used to be. Now think for just a moment. We have a problem sometimes forgetting the old us. The memories of the old us like to come back to our minds quite frequently. And this is a strategic move of our enemy to shift our focus from who we are to who we used to be. We can let our minds wander back. We think about our past failures. We think about the past disappointments. We tend to view ourselves sometimes still carrying the weight of guilt the burden of shame that's associated with our sinful past. And praise God this morning that when we open the Bible and we look at that mirror, it reflects that there is a new Stephen and there is a new Jason. There is a new Beth. There is a new fill-in-the-blank for every one of you who are in Christ, you have been made new. And that's where we say, Amen. Hallelujah. God has made us new. We no longer have to walk in defeat because of past failure. We no longer hang our head in shame because of the mistakes that we have made in the past. 
we're no longer limited in terms of how God might want to use us today because of the mistakes that we've made in our past. In Christ, we have been made new. And it's so crystal clear that the old has passed away. And we have been made new. I hope you can see yourself in that light this morning as a person who's been born again. As a person who, though you were far from God because of sin, you have been made new and brought near to God, adopted even into His family, reflecting even His glory to those around you. This is the picture that I hope you see and I hope you will always see when you reflect on what God's Word has said about your identity. So what has happened to those who are in Christ? We have been made new. Praise God. Second question I want to ask you. How did this wonderful thing happen? How did God make us new? How did God take this then young man who had been exposed to the teachings of the Bible all of his life, who had sat under great preaching of the Word Sunday after Sunday and have heard the stories of the Gospel from countless Sunday school teachers and youth workers and the pep talks that parents gave, had every advantage when it comes to the spiritual heritage that my parents gave to me. And all of that was in one ear and out the other ear, leaving me unchanged for so many years. How in the world did God do this wonderful work of taking that sinner and making him new? How did God do that wonderful work of transforming my desires and realigning my desires and reorienting my life to pursue a different kingdom, to live and serve, to live for and serve a different master. How did God make us new? Do you see any hints there in Scripture? What do you see in the Word of God as you look at the mirror of God's Word? How did He make us new? What do you see in verse 18? Who did this great work? Well, it certainly wasn't us, was it? It certainly wasn't that one day we woke up, one fine day, woke up and said, you know what, I'm tired of being far from God. And from this day forward, I'm going to be brand new. I'm going to start honoring the Lord with my words and you know what I'm even going to start honoring the Lord with my thoughts and with my hands and the things that I do I'm going to be a God honoring person this from this day forward we didn't wake up and decide to be made new verse 18 is so clear in pointing out that this work 
The new birth that we have experienced is a work that God himself has done. God has chosen to make me new. It was God who after years of being reluctant to yield my will to the Lord's will, after years of rebellion, after years of ignoring the teaching of God's word, it was God who persisted. It was God who was patient in pursuing me and bringing me to a place where that message, I don't know how it happened, To this day, I don't know how a common message all of a sudden struck me in my heart and brought a deep sense of conviction. I don't know how he did it. I just know that I'm standing in front of you as a testimony of the power of the gospel to take a broken life and to put it back together. And if you're in Christ, then you sit before me giving that same reflection. A people who've been made new. As a work of God. God chose to make you and to make me a new creation. But how did he do it? What else do you see in these verses? How did he do it? How did this new work take place? What did God do to make us new? Somebody read verse 21. Everybody read verse 21. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to need some volunteers. I don't know if I can find three volunteers who'd be willing to come up and help me this morning. Three brave souls want to join me up here at the front. I promise I won't make you sing or dance or anything like that. All you got to do is stand. Can I get three volunteers? There's one. He's coming to collect his million dollars. Yeah, please join me up here. Here's two. I just need one more. Can y'all join? Oh, I got three. Y'all come here and join me up here on stage if you would. Oh, we had another one coming. All right, brothers. I want to get you to do me a favor and just hold that up like a badge that you're wearing. All right, brother. Now, I've already described some. I didn't give you the details. And I'd turn about as red as that shirt if you could really see a picture of what's inside of my heart. But we're just going to let this three-letter word represent the record of my heart. Let's just imagine for a moment we all got our Superman eyes. We got x-ray vision. And you can look straight inside the chest of Stephen Crittenden, the guy who's preaching the Word of God to you. And you could look inside my heart and see what, is, what was really there. What was my spiritual identity? What was the record of my life before a holy God? If you could look inside of me, this is what you would see. Now, of course, the word sin is the root of that. It's deep inside our hearts where our problem lies. We see its surface in the things that we say. 
are the things that we do. But we know our problem is deep inside of our hearts. And you know that if you could see in my heart, this is what you would see about the old Stephen. And I know if I could see inside of your heart, what would I also see? We would see the same thing. If we look inside the mirror of Romans 3.23, God's Word, we're looking at the mirror of Romans 3.23, and what's staring back at us? What does it say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we know that this problem is a problem that Stephen faced It's a problem that you faced. It's a problem that everyone who has lived on planet earth, save one person, has faced. And if we could use our x-ray vision and scan all of creation and even things above creation, would our eyes ever be able to fall on someone whose record was something other than sin? If we look above creation, we might find three people that would have a record of holiness. I wonder who they might be. Well, it's certainly not these three brothers. No offense, brothers. I bet you all the best of the best. For a moment, we're going to pretend that this is God the Father with a record of holiness. And for pretend, we're going to let Jason represent God the Son with a record of holiness. And we're going to pretend our brother here is God the Holy Spirit with a record of holiness. And everybody else, I'm sorry to say, everybody else is stuck with this record of sin. And this is our problem This is what prevents us from having relationship with, from drawing near to the God who created us. It's our problem with sin. And what does verse 21 say that God did in order to make me a new creation? What is it that God did to make you a new creation? What does verse 21 say happened? So it says that God the Son in His holiness left the glory of heaven and came to where sinners like us live. Because we certainly could not go into His holy presence. And it says that the one who is holy became sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. It's as if there's been an exchange of my record. I have been able to give every offense that I've committed against a holy God. Every lie I've told. Every arrogant thought or every lustful thought. Every foul word that I've spoken, 
Everything that I've done, the record of those things has literally been laid on the person of Jesus who knew no sin, but he became our sin. And the full weight of God's wrath was poured out on my sin, but it was poured out on not me, but the person who took my record of sin upon himself. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God that we're no longer... I don't know if you caught it, but it says God is no longer counting our sins against us. He's laid our sins on Jesus. He's counted our sins against Jesus. And the penalty for our sin has been paid in full. God is not a God who can ignore the presence of sin in our life. A just judge can't see sin and leave it undealt with. And so this illustration pictures where God's justice and His mercy meet. They meet at a cross where our sin debt was paid. Where God punishes Sin by allowing his son to be crucified. But praise God, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and proved that God had accepted the sacrifice of his son as payment for every sin that you and I have committed. He rose from the dead to prove that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and now welcomed in the presence of God. Now that I have this record of holiness, there's nothing to hinder me from coming into the presence of holy God and having fellowship with holy God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Brothers, I'm going to let you all sit down. Y'all can give our... Lovely assistance. I hope that picture never leaves your mind. I hope it never leaves your mind that, that God has dealt with your sin. Through the death of Jesus, your sin has been removed. The guilt and the shame has also been removed. I hope when you look in the mirror of God's Word, church, that you will see what God shows us as a reflection in His Word. You are a new creation. The old is gone. How did it happen? Through the exchange of Christ's holiness given to you as a gift of grace as he took away your sin and paid the price. Third question I want to ask you. We know what happened. We became a new creation. We know how it happened through this great exchange of our sin for the righteousness of Jesus. Third question I want to ask is why? Why did God make us new? Why is it that God chose to make you new, to put your sin on Jesus and to give you His righteousness. What did He have in mind for you? 
And I want to suggest that based on this text, I can think of at least from this text two things that God had in mind when He chose by grace to make you and me a new creation. The first thing we see, I want you to look again at verse 18. If anyone is in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. All of this is, it's been done by God. And then what does it say that He has done? It says, He reconciled us to Himself. What does that mean? What does it mean to be reconciled to God? It's the picture of a relationship that has been broken. We are estranged from God, separated. We've, we've actually become the enemies of God, the Scripture would say. Scripture would say it's as if we were dead to God. We were dead in our trespasses. It was as if we didn't exist to God. We had no connection to God relationally. Our only connection was as the enemies of God. And I want to remind you, let me remind you of a place, a place called Eden. Remember this place? Anybody remember a garden? A beautiful garden that God created? Matter of fact, everything that God had created, after He created, He said, it is good. But what was His special creation? Or who was His special creation? Yes, you and me. We were a special part of His creation. And what did God do with man and woman after He created them? He put them in this garden, gave them dominion. But, but one of the greatest blessings, the greatest blessing that they experienced was not just the beauty of the garden, beautiful as it must have been undamaged by the fall. Can you imagine what it must have been like? But more wonderful than the beauty of that garden was that someone was with them in that garden. Who? God was with them in the garden. This is what made the garden so special was that they had this intimate relationship with the God who created them because that's what God had in mind when He made you and when He made me. When He made man in His image, He didn't make us to compete with Him, but He made us to be compatible with Him, to enjoy fellowship with Him. And we know what happened. We know that because of sin, because of disobedience, God had told them, don't eat the fruit of that tree. This sounds almost like Romans 6.23, only many years before. He said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. The day that you eat it, you will surely die. 
Sin will kill. It will destroy this relationship that you have with me. It will change drastically this beautiful creation that I have made. And Adam and Eve, just like you and I, believed the lie, bit the apple, and suddenly everything changed. But this wasn't God's desire. Though they are removed from the garden, first of all, what did they do personally after they ate that fruit? What did they do? Anybody remember? They went and hid. Yeah, they go off and they're as if they're going to hide from God. Because they feel the weight of their guilt and shame. They know they've done what God said not to do. And so they go and hide. We know we can't hide from God. And we know we can't escape either God's judgment for our sin. You remember what else they did? How did they try to hide their shame? They tried to cover their shame, their nakedness, with leaves. And that's what we all do too, don't we? We look for something to try and cover that sense of guilt that we feel when we have offended God. And I I would say the religions of the world are the fig leaves that we see in the Garden of Eden. Anybody who believes that by following some religious traditions... They'll be able to cover enough of their guilt and shame to be okay. Sadly, anyone who thinks that way, it's like trying to cover our nakedness with fig leaves. You remember what God did graciously for them? Anybody remember what He did? He sacrificed an animal. He shed the blood of an animal and took the skins from that animal and gave them an adequate covering for their nakedness. It's a picture of the substitute that Jesus would become for us much later. It was the promise God gave them shortly after the fall that He would send a deliverer, someone who would come and crush the head of the enemy who deceived them into eating that fruit and falling from the beautiful garden, falling from fellowship with Him, with God. He promised the deliverer would come. And even in that sacrifice being offered and God covering their shame is signaling to us the one who's coming is going to do the same. Jesus is The one whose blood was shed for our sin. To provide adequate covering for our guilt and our shame. So that we could enter into fellowship with God. So that our sins could be taken away. And our fellowship with God could be restored. Because that's what God wanted. 
Think about it for a moment. A fish. What was a fish made to do? Swim! And a fish can only survive where? Water. Take him out of the water, and what happens? He dies. I don't know how long it takes. I've never tortured a fish to see. But I'm guessing two minutes, three minutes max of flopping around and then it's over. And like the fish belongs in water, the fish thrives, survives, lives in water You and I, our water that we live in, that we thrive in, is fellowship with God, the God who created us. And if you take us out of fellowship with God, like the fish, we'll flop around for 60, 70, 80 years maybe. But eventually we will die. And without the covering of Jesus, covering our shame, we will die forever. Forever we'll be separated from this loving God who invites us to come into fellowship with Him. Amen? Y'all not jet lagged, are you? I'm the one supposed to be tired. Why did God make us new? Because His desire for us was that we would live life that is abundant and full and that is only possible in fellowship with Him. And sin has robbed us of that joy. And in order for us to be restored to that place of fullness, the fullness of joy... And in order for us to serve our ultimate purpose, which is to glorify the one who created us, our sin had to be dealt with. We had to be made new to come back into fellowship with God. God wants a relationship with you. When you look into the mirror of God's word, it says you're a new creation. The old you is gone There's a new you through the exchange of your sin for the righteousness of Jesus. And the reason He made you new was to bring you into fellowship with God. And when I think of fellowship with God, there are three things that come to my mind that I want you to help me remember these three things as we leave. We're not leaving yet, but when you leave. I want you to put your hands together like this. What do you think this represents? Prayer. So part of why God made you new was so that you could have this relationship with Him and a relationship with Him involves communicating with Him through prayer. He wants you to be able to express your heart to Him through prayer, that you have His ear. 
You have His attention. We have the assurance this morning that when we fall on our knees and pray in the name of Jesus, we're not just speaking to ourselves. We have an audience with the Most High God. And not only do we have His ear, He will respond to our prayers and demonstrate His power as He works in the circumstances of our life. When I think of that relationship that God wants to have with you, first, I'm thinking God wants us to speak to Him through prayer. So I want to challenge you. As you look in the mirror of God's Word, and remember, I was made new so that I could relate to God personally. One of the things that we should be doing is talking to Him through prayer. And I encourage you, go to Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and Jesus, the one who died for our sins, will tell us how to pray. He'll teach us how to pray. So read that. Get your instruction manual from Jesus on how to pray. Let's do this with our hands. What do you think this is? Reading the Bible. Because relationships have Two-way communication. Nobody wants to be in a relationship where all we do is listen. Right? And so God wants to speak. He wants you to know more about yourself than you know. He wants you to know more about Him than you know. He wants you to know more about His plan for your life and for this world that He's created. And how does He tell us these things? Through His Word. And so part of the application for us, if we've been made new to walk in relationship with God, Part of the application is that we're committed to a lifestyle of prayer where we're depending on God daily and we're expressing our desperate need to Him through prayer. Communicating with Him our hearts. And part of that application is that we're devoted to listening to His Word. We're spending time asking God, speak to me, show me more of your plan for my life. So we're praying. We're reading and studying the word. And then I'm going to do this. And I wonder what this means. Anybody know? Love. It means love. I know y'all have read the book, the love languages book, right? Some of you still trying to figure out each other's love language, right? I can't remember. Did you speak this or that? I know changes all the time, doesn't it? You want to know God's love language? It's obedience. If you love me, you will obey me. We trust him enough to obey him when he speaks to us because we know that he loves us. If He loves us enough to take responsibility for our sin and die in our place, can't we trust Him when He calls us to do something? Surely we can trust Him. 
and we demonstrate that we trust him and that we love him by yielding our will to his. When he calls us to do something that seems ridiculous. When he says, as a church, give a quarter of a million dollars to spread the gospel around the world. And we're thinking about the other things we could do with a quarter million dollars. And because we love him, we want to obey. And you have done that because you trust and love the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And as we spend time in prayer, and as we spend time in the word, and God speaks to us, we express our love for him by saying yes. Whatever he's calling us to do, our answer is always yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Our relationship with God, a healthy relationship with God, is marked by a commitment to prayer, Bible study, and obedience. And I would encourage you, you've been made new to walk in relationship with God. And so there's your application. There's a second thing about the why. Why he made you new. Did you see it at the end of verse 18? It's actually in verse 18. It's in verse 19. It's in verse 20. He says it so many times. Do you see a second reason for making you new? First, it says he reconciled us to himself. Second, what does it say? Somebody say it loud. What did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation he has given to us. Is it verse 19 that says we are his ambassadors? We have been sent out to represent him. And the being sent out does not always mean an airplane flight. I don't guess you have to say airplane and flight, but. It doesn't always mean flying across the world. We're his ambassadors when we walk into our school building. We're his ambassador when we step into our factory. Or wherever it is you spend your time. We're there on behalf of the Most High God. And what is our purpose Look on down in verse 20. What does he say? What is Paul doing as he travels and is engaged in this ministry of reconciliation? What does it say he's doing? He is imploring others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's the picture of someone who is like down on their knees pleading with the prodigal son, come home. That's what Paul is saying this ministry of reconciliation is like. It's, it's going to the one who's wandered away from the father and it's begging them, please come home. Come home. Through the death of Jesus, your guilt, your shame has been removed. You are welcome back in the Father's house. 
You are welcome back into relationship. You are welcome back into the family. You can leave your guilt. You can leave your shame. This is what the ambassador does. This is what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. Taking the good news of the gospel. That verse 21. It's taking verse 21 to the world and saying to them, your religion is an empty attempt to cover your shame and your guilt. If you don't believe and repent, you will perish. But God has offered you an adequate covering for your sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Come home. This is our message. This is our message. And we are the messengers. Church, we are the messengers. And you'd be surprised at who has never heard or who has never understood the message. And this is why it is so urgent for us, church, to look into the mirror of God's Word and be reminded of who we are. See, we can't stop with half the picture of who we are. You've been made new so that you can walk in relationship with God. We love that part. Hallelujah. We check our sins at the door and wave our hands and worship and joy is ours and we're happy with that part. But that's half of our identity. The other part of your identity is someone who's been made new. You, brother, sister, are a minister of reconciliation. You, brother, sister, are an ambassador. You, brother, sister, have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation and the world is filled with people who need to hear it and Mississippi is filled with people who need to hear it. And maybe even sitting in this room this morning, there are people who still need to hear it and understand that Christ is beckoning you to come, not in your self-righteousness, but in brokenness, convicted of sin, to come and throw yourself at His mercy and plead for His forgiveness. And He desires to give it to you. He desires to reconcile you to Himself. He desires to make you new, to take the old you and it be gone. And to make a new you. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, isn't it? I want to close with a story. I heard this story. Maybe you've heard it. I hope not. Because then nobody will laugh. If you've heard it, laugh again. Heard the story about this seminary student who was in his final year of seminary and all the seminary students had to preach at the chapel before their peers 
before they could graduate. And so this one student, um, very nervous about having to stand before his peers and preach. And so it's his appointed uh, day to come to chapel, and he, he comes up to the pulpit, and he's a nervous wreck. And he's standing there, he's uh, trembling as he starts to talk, and he opens his mouth, and he says, uh, does anybody know what I'm about to say? Of course, nobody knew, and everybody shakes their heads like no, and he says, well, I don't either, and he ran out of the place. Well, his professors felt really sorry for him. He'd worked hard. They wanted him to have another chance. And so they scheduled another chapel service. And so he gets ready for this chapel service. Same thing happens. He gets there and he's just like white knuckles on this, you know, thing holding on. And same thing. He says, does, does anybody know what I'm about to say? Well, everybody is remembering what he said before. And so what did they do? They said, yeah, we know what you're going to say. And he said, well, good. And then he ran on out and he felt no point in saying. So, again, the professors are feeling very sad for him and they want to give him a third chance. And so they give him a third chance, third chance. He comes up to preach and he is standing there and he's about to open his mouth and he just can't get the courage to say anything. And so he says, a third time, does anybody know what I'm about to say? And so the crowd is thinking through. And so half the crowd decided to say no, and half the crowd decided to say yes. And he said, good, the half that know, tell the half that don't know. And he ran out of the place. <laughs> What's the point? The point is, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of of the Lord shall be saved. And then we're presented with a dilemma. Well, how do they call on somebody they don't believe in? How do they believe in someone that they've never heard about and understood? And how do they hear unless someone actually tells them and how does someone tell them unless they are sent and then it says beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news anybody in Mississippi who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Anybody in South Asia who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to believe in someone they've, or call on somebody they don't believe? And how are they going to believe? Church, they won't hear until someone tells. And those of us who know have been sent to tell those that don't know. And I want to pray over you this morning as you reflect on your identity, as you look in the mirror of God's Word and you see yourself as a new creation. 
through the great exchange so that I can walk in relationship with God. I pray you'll enjoy that relationship with God. And I pray that you will go with passion to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your family members and your friends and tell them that the one who knew no sin became sin for them, that they might become his righteousness.